We'll hear argument next to number 97, 1139, United States versus Jacinto Rodriguez Moreno. Mr. Wilson. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, under the Constitution's venue provisions, a criminal trial shall be held in the state where the crime shall have been committed. The issue in this case is how that principle is to be applied in a case where the offense has more than one actus reus element and where one of those actus reus elements was carried out over several states. What's the English meaning of actus reus? The English, the, it, can be, it can be interpreted as the, uh, the, act of, the act of the crime or the act of the thing. And ge- it does not have a universal meaning, but generally speaking, the courts have uh, looked at, have isolated actus reus as the conduct that must be performed by the defendant uh, to make him punishable for a crime. It is generally distinguishable from two other aspects of the crime, the mens rea or the mental state, and other circumstances surrounding the crime. Uh, this is generally the approach that is taken by the model penal code, uh, which does not use the term actus reus, but which uses the term, but which distinguishes among conduct, mental state, and attendant circumstances. And it, uh, that sort of, that division of the various aspects of the crime is also reflected in Justice Holmes's discussion of the common law. Is, is conduct an equally satisfactory word, do you think, as actus reus? I, I think conduct is not an equally satisfactory term because actus reus refers specifically to uh, conduct undertaken by the defendant, which society has an interest in punishing. There, you could translate it as the criminal, the criminal act. The criminal act or the criminal conduct. Uh, I, I use conduct because one has to take into account uh, certain types of crimes that, def- that, that revolve on failure to perform a duty uh, in which I think one would have to acknowledge that the, the criminal conduct was the failure to show up at the appointed time and place as opposed to uh, uh, undertaking some overt act. But, but you're, you're right. With that when you use a word like conduct, it, right. it sort of sucks in <laughs> surrounding circumstances more than we better stick with the Latin, I think. <laughs> Well, I'm, uh, uh, I'll do my best. Thank you. Um, but to, to return, uh, our, uh, the rule that we propose and that uh, is reflected in this Court's decisions is that uh, uh, in any state where any of the actus reus elements is carried out, that is an appropriate place for the defendant to be prosecuted. In this case, that means that respondent was properly prosecuted uh, in New Jersey because one of the elements of the offense uh, defined by Section 924C uh, was the kidnapping, uh, which in this case was a continuing, unitary, undivided crime uh, that began uh, began in Texas, was continued into New Jersey, which was for some period of time the defendant's base of operations, and then was continued into Maryland. 
Uh, is that the criminal act that is being punished by this statute? It is part of the criminal act that is being punished by the statute. The statute, where the Court of Appeals went wrong, I think, was to say that the statute punishes the use of the firearm only, and it, it, they didn't look at the fact that — Oh, the it, use during. The use during. That's correct. But that, that is — uh, that is our point, which is that it's not just during — it is during and in relation to the uh, underlying crime of violence for which this defendant may be prosecuted. And to obtain a conviction under Section 924C, the government must prove that the defendant did commit that underlying crime of violence uh, or was punishable for it under some principles such as Pinkerton liability or aiding and abetting liability. It is equally an element of the offense as the use, of, as the use or carrying of the firearm. Uh, it, in its application, this statute essentially is no different from a statute that might define a crime of aggravated kidnapping. I mean, suppose, for example, well, kidnapping is defined in Section 1201A of the United States Code of Title 18 as whoever kidnaps and holds for ransom uh, any person uh, shall be punishable by a term of years. What 924C, it, it's as if there were an added sentence to that section and says, and whoever during and in relation to that kidnapping, uses or carries a gun, uh, shall also be punished by an additional five years. I think it would be, I think it would be odd in that situation if someone were, were prosecuted for aggravated kidnapping to say that the only place he could be prosecuted would be where the aggravation took place and not yeah. over the entirety of, and not anywhere where the entirety of the kidnapping takes place. Now, what Congress has done in 924C is it has essentially created sort of an off-the-shelf aggravation element which can be applied to a variety of crimes of violence or drug trafficking crimes. What, what, what do you think the, the, those who revolted against King George would have thought if, uh, and, and, you know, one, one of their objections was that he, was tra- he would transport us across the seas to be tried for crimes? What if King George had enacted a statute like this that made it uh, unlawful to use a firearm in, connect- in connection with a kidnapping defense, and the firearm was only used in Boston, uh, and the kidnapping uh, — uh, I'm sorry, the, the — uh, yes, the firearm was only used in Boston, and some of the kidnapping during which the firearm was used occurred in England — you think they would have thought it was fair to try the defendant in, well, if in the, London for, for the, this firearm that he possessed in Boston? If, they associ- if the people who use the firearm associated themselves with a kidnapping uh, that takes place in a variety of jurisdictions, the Constitution's venue provisions do recognize that it is proper to bring a defendant to trial in the place where he has committed a criminal activity. The Constitution does not say that uh, the proper venue for a, for a crime shall be where the defendant, uh, in the state of which a defendant is a citizen, now, or where the defendant is resides. Now, it might have taken that approach if the only uh, principle behind the Constitution's venue provisions was to allow the defendant to be tried uh, in, in his home district, which one may assume is a more congenial district. It balanced that, that with the other — with another objective, which is that it is, it is appropriate to bring the defendant to justice in the place where he has uh, conducted his criminal activity. And if a defendant undertakes — voluntarily undertakes some purposeful activity that causes harm in a community through the commission of a criminal conduct, uh, there's nothing in the — there's nothing in the venue provisions of the Constitution that say he can't — now — There's another statute that punishes kidnapping, isn't there? I mean, that's a separate offense. That is correct. And this statute says if during kidnapping you possess a firearm, you, you get an additional penalty. 
Right. If during that kid, if during your kidnapping, the kidnapping which you carry out, mm-hmm. you use and possess a firearm, use sorry, use or carry a firearm, you get an additional penalty. So, but the he, penalty is. Let's assume he gets a penalty for the kidnapping. All right. Correct. He could still be tried for using a firearm during that kidnapping, right? Yes. Because that's a separate offense. Is an additional element involved? The separate offense is using is in, you must using the firearm. Right. That's the only thing he's being punished additionally for. And you say even if he used that firearm only in one state, he could be tried in another state where the kidnapping for which he's been separately punishing punished for uh, happened also to occur. Let me say on that point that it is it is almost invariably the case that 924C charges are brought in conjunction with the charges for the what one can call the underlying offense. And uh, that is consistent with, the, uh, with Congress's expectation that the two charges would be brought together because it viewed 924C uh, in the nature of an enhanced punishment for that underlying offense that was aggravated by the use or carrying of a firearm during and in relation to it. Uh, in, in other words, Congress, uh, Congress believed that when someone carries out uh, this crime of violence or a drug trafficking crime that is more deserving of punishment because it was accompanied by use or carrying of a gun. It is true that it is a separate offense. The element has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. There has to be trial by jury on that offense. It's not a, it's not a sentencing factor. But nonetheless, it is so closely intertwined with the, uh, with the underlying offense that Congress really saw it as uh, increased punishment for the nature of that offense. It's uh, for, for that particular offense. Uh, Mr. Wilson, you uh, submitted the revision of 924C, and I noticed that in this respect there's no relevant change. And I wondered whether, in light of Cabrales' last term, whether the government had urged any clarification of this provision to avoid the problem we're dealing with. I'm not aware of any uh, um, discussion about Cabrales in this revision of 924C, which I understand was more directed towards uh, the Bailey uh, issue about about where the gun is possessed rather than the more active type of uses as in as in used or carried. Uh, it's it, 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 it's not that uncommon for a um, for one of the underlying crimes which 924C is is added onto to be carried out over a. A, a variety of states. I mean, one can imagine an inter, one can imagine a drug conspiracy, a drug distribution conspiracy, for example, that was based in Boston. Uh, and as part of that conspiracy, someone might go to a, another city, Miami or Houston, to obtain the drugs and then bring them back to Boston. Um, he might one of those co-conspirators might use the gun uh, while obtaining the drugs. And I think it would be it, it would be strange to say that the that if if Congress wanted the drug conspiracy and the 924C charge to be tried together, I think it would be odd to say that the only place it could be tried was in the in the in the city where the the drugs had been obtained, where the co-conspirators had entered for a, just a moment, when the the base of operations of the conspiracy uh, was it was say in Boston. It's that conspiracy, that distribution conspiracy, that the use of the gun made worse. And that's, I think, how Congress really looked at the purpose of nine — looked at the objective which ni- uh, of the 924C offense was to punish that aggravation. Mr. Wilson, help me out, because it, it bears some relevance to how I view this case. I think, I'm, I, think I may have been wrong uh, when I suggested earlier that you could have tried the kidnapping uh, in one place and then later try the uh, 
gun offense, it, it, it would be double jeopardy, wouldn't it? Each, each offense has to contain an element that the other does not. It would, uh, the, the, if, the, it is, you have it's, to it's not, it's not, it's not, I have to say under this Court's decisions it's not clear because it's true that they satisfy the Blockburger test that the kid, the 924C offense uh, contains all the elements of the um, kidnapping offense, and but the kidnapping offense doesn't contain any that the 924C. Right. But there are cases of this court where, which have have said that in certain kinds of complex type crimes uh, like this, that the Blockburger test may not be fully applicable. Uh, I, I'm not aware of any decided case law in the lower case on this subject, but I believe Garrett versus United States, which is a decision of this court that talks about the continuing criminal enterprise statute suggests that, which is sort of similar to this case in that there is, a, there is an overall statute of carrying out a continuing criminal enterprise, and one might say that there are predicate acts of that that are the commission of other offenses. And there's discussion in that decision that says that the — Garrett Blocker, is the name I of believe that's, I believe that's okay. the case, Garrett. yes. Um, one thing, uh, Garrett is sort of actually the, um, the CCE-type crimes and crimes like RICO have been treated by the lower courts um, roughly similarly to the, to the approach that we've suggested in this case, which is that uh, take RICO, for example, where the defendant must uh, manage the affairs of an enterprise through the conduct of racketeering activity. The approach taken by the lower courts is that uh, the defendant uh, can be uh, brought to trial wherever any of those predicate acts of racketeering uh, activity take place. And though, now though there may be situations where those racketeering acts are carried out uh, in more than one state, and it's viewed as appropriate by the lower courts that the defendant uh, may be tried on the overall RICO statute wherever any of those uh, any of those pre- racketeering acts uh, were committed. Uh, similarly, there are other there are other examples where um, uh, other multi- other examples of offenses with multiple elements. Um, another example is the Travel Act, which uh, prohibits uh, crossing state lines with an intent to carry out certain criminal activity and thereafter carrying it out or attempting to do so. And the courts have said that the the lower courts have said that the defendant may be prosecuted either where he leaves or where he arrives or where he uh, then carries out the criminal act. What about the Hobbs Act? The Hobbs Act the Hobbs Act uh, has been applied uh, to allow prosecution wherever the obstructing act takes place. So suppose it suppose that a person hijacks a truck in Maryland and the contents of the truck were intended for distribution uh, everywhere from Puerto Rico to Alaska, uh, does that mean that he — and it affects commerce uh, in every uh, state of the United States and the territories thereof. All right, now, can this person who hijacked the truck in Maryland, since well, the, it affected the, commerce everywhere, uh, be uh, tried anywhere? The lower courts have said that a Hobbs Act prosecution may be brought where the commerce was affected. Now, the government would have to prove — So what's your, your view the, is that uh, — That's the, correct. The government, there is no such thing as a, just a jurisdictional uh, requirement? There are — no, there are jurisdictional requirements. Uh, for example, uh, the possession offense is defined by uh, 922G of Title 18, which, which prohibit a certain number of certain classes of persons from possessing a gun if the gun has traveled in interstate commerce. Uh, the, one can't prosecute him in any place simply because the gun was there. That, that, is, that is a a, a, an element that gives the federal courts jurisdiction. It's not an actus reus type element of the offense on which venue can be predicated. But the Hobbs Act requires that one uh, one uh, obstruct 
one commit an obstructive act and, and thereby affect commerce. And the courts have said that — the lower courts have said the affecting commerce is, you know, is part of the criminal conduct undertaken by the defendant. So uh, there, there's nothing — no contrary authority on that? I mean, I, I'm surprised. That, I, 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 anywhere I, — Alaska, I mean, most commerce, you know, affects — so we're well, all interrelated. One, well, one does have to prove — I mean, the government does have to prove in a Hobbs Act prosecution uh, that — that the commerce was affected, and it's 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 uh, my understanding is that oh, it's all labeled in the truck. Right. <laughs> I, I I'm not I'm not sure of that the courts have gone so far. It, as, but my understanding is that the the decisions all do say that the that the uh, it may be the prosecution may be brought where the commerce was affected. Can we so put it just a different now. way? Uh, if you win this case, would it not mean? that in the Hobbs Act case that Justice Breyer posits, the prosecution could be brought anywhere that the goods might have been destined. I think that's probably correct. Yes. Uh, the Court of Appeals, instead of, uh, instead of uh, looking at the actual nature of the offense, laid great emphasis on the fact that Congress had only used the active verbs use, uses and carries uh, in defining uh, Section 924C. And uh, that approach, what's been called the key verb test or the active verb test, uh, is, is defective because it, 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 it makes venue turn on aspects of the statute that are really immaterial, do not go to the, the — or they don't capture the offense that Congress actually defined uh, when it passed 924C. And on that point, uh, as Judge Alito pointed out in the dissent below, Congress could have easily restated the offense uh, by using — slightly different language, but if to have reached an, uh, an exactly identical result, Congress could have said whoever commits a crime of violence or uh, commits a crime of violence or is punishable and is punishable, therefore, and during and in relation to that crime of violence, uses or carries a firearm, uh, may be punished. And the, the majority in the Court of Appeals uh, agreed that uh, the defendant, if Congress had stated the statute that way, that the defendant could be uh, prosecuted in New Jersey. Uh, and it, it, it seems odd to say that the, that the venue decision should turn on uh, just the certain grammatical aspects of it. Does it? I mean, I, uh, why does it seem strange that, that what that affects should hinge upon what you say? No, I, 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 I mean. The, the, the point is not that. The language that Congress chose is irrelevant. I mean, clearly, if Congress chooses one verb rather than another, it may be getting at a different point. I mean, there are cases, for example, that have said if Congress defines an offense as depositing in the mails rather than using the mails, that it may have, it may have been aiming at a particular right. a, a, a substantive difference. The point is where everybody agrees what the offenses are, or, excuse me, what the actus reus elements are of the offense. There's, there's not really any disagreement on that, I, I don't think. It, then the fact that Congress captured it with one active verb and a prepositional phrase, whereas it could have just as easily been restated using two active verbs, uh, should, not, uh, should not affect the, the, uh, the venue outcome. What about whoever? Suppose they say whoever, knowing that a gun will be used in a crime of violence, carries a gun. Whoever knowing, so he says knowing rather than in relation to. And, of course, he carries the gun in Maryland, and he knows that the crime will be committed in California. Whoever knowing. knowing the reason right, I pick right, knowing is right, because I'm thinking right. of the, the laundering, the money laundering. Right, Whoever right. knowing that this came from, from a, a crime of violence, this money uh, deposits it. Well, we know that the fact that the crime is in, you know, that the crime of violence or that 
the, the underlying crime was in some other state. You can't try it. Well, in that case, it would — in that case, if, if I understand the, the hypothetical correctly, there's no requirement that the crime — that the crime actually be used in the crime of violence. It's simply carrying a gun, uh, you know, knowing — having some evil — it would seem that the, the crime is committed where the gun is carried and, and the knowledge is — is had if, if it's not required that the government also prove that the gun therefore be actually used by the defendant uh, in the commission of a, in the commission of a crime. So uh, uh, I think it would be distinguishable on that. In the, that in the present case, the only the only difference it would have made is how many months in the. I mean, if you you could have brought the whole prosecution where the gun was used. I forget what the different states were. Where was it? New Jersey that the gun was used? The gun was used, or the use element was, satis- was, was carried out in Maryland. In Maryland. The, the kidnapping began in Texas, continued right. into New Jersey, and right. was completed in Maryland. Uh, it's clear you could have prosecuted the, the, the whole case in, in Maryland. Not the whole case. What? We couldn't have prosecuted the kidnapping of Mrs. Avendano uh, in Maryland, because she — and that's okay. — that is — and she was not — she was left behind in New Jersey when I the see. kidnappers went on. And that is a — I mean, there is an independent interest that the government has in, in, in punishing that offense. Okay, uh, but, that's, but that's just sort of accidental in this case. I mean, let's, let's assume the kidnapping of just one person and, and, and the use of the gun. Uh, never mind the, the other kidnapping. It was a separate kidnapping. Uh, this kidnapping could have been prosecuted plus the use of the gun, the separate offense for use of the gun in Maryland. Or you could have prosecuted just the kidnapping in either New Jersey or Texas, I assume. Correct. And uh, had you prosecuted it there, you would have gotten a sentencing enhancement for the use of the gun. That is correct. So Uh, what difference are we talking about between getting the additional sentence for use of the gun, convicting of a separate crime, and simply getting the sentencing enhancement for kidnapping? It could be uh, uh, about... 40 months difference. Uh, it could be from 12 to 40 months difference, depending on where the district court chose to it, it sentence the person in, within the guidelines range. That's in this case. I, I, it, I do also want to say, though, that um, this defendant, this respondent, had a criminal history three. For, for defendants, the, the difference grows as you get lower down in the criminal history, so that for someone with less, of a, with less criminal history, the disparity becomes greater. Um, but there, but it, in this case, it's between uh, 12 and uh, 40. You can generalize uh, right. as to the relative right. insignificance of the difference right. in this case, you say. Right, right. There is a difference. It's 12 to, I believe it's 39. 12 would be 12. To, he got a sentence of 147 months, and under the situation that uh, Justice Scalia posits, it would be 108 to 135 months, but the disparity grows, as I explained. And, uh, uh, and so — there is, there is, I mean, there is a substantial difference, and, uh, and that reflects the fact that Congress uh, imposed what is a rather strict penalty. Of, it's a, uh, in 924C. It's a five-year mandatory add-on. It can't be — it has to be consecutive. It can't be paroled. It doesn't matter whether — you know, it, it applies even whether the, uh, uh, the defend, whether the offense contains its own enhancement statutory element uh, for, u- for use of a dangerous weapon or use of a firearm. Uh, but it is — Congress did view uh, it as a very serious matter when an offense is aggravated uh, through the use of a firearm. Mr. Uh, Mr. Wilson, you said that the majority in the Third Circuit agreed that if the statute had been reworded, reworded as Judge Alioto proposed, there wouldn't be any question about proper menu here. 
Was that implicit in his decision? I didn't see an express right. an agreement to that effect. On page 18A of the petition appendix, uh, uh, the Court said, in the specific context of Section 924C, Congress could have drafted — I'm sorry. It's on the page. I'm sorry. It's at the very top of the page, 18A okay. of the petition appendix. Congress could have drafted the statute to allow venue to lie in any district where the government could properly bring the related crime of violence or drug trafficking offense. And then as a footnote, uh, footnote 8, indeed, the defense artfully suggests how such a statute might be written. And then the Court goes on to say uh, Congress did not do so. I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal. Very well, Mr. Wolfson. Mr. McDonald, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. There is no escape from the logic that a 924C1 violation is not committed unless and until a firearm is used or carried. When or where the underlying predicate offense began is simply unimportant. It's not, com- it's not committed either until there's been a kidnapping. That's correct, Your Honor. You have to have 924C is a point-in-time offense. It is not necessarily a continuing offense. It occurs only when and only where the weapon is used during and in relation to the underlying crime of violence. Venue, in our opinion, can never relate back to the anterior or predicate offense. Well, what, what about a, con- a kidnapping that, in this, as in this case, simply continued from one state to another? Had Mr. Moreno used a weapon at the inception of the kidnapping, and had he kept it with him, then it would 924C under those circumstances would be a continuing offense, and it could well, simply but, be prosecuted. Well, what's your authority for saying that this is not a continuing offense? The, the, the kidnapping surely is a continuing offense. The underlying crime of kidnapping is a continuing offense. This Court's, analog, uh, this court's uh, analysis of the statute in Bailey said, and this other uh, cases in Busick and Simpson a number of years ago, clearly said that this is not a sentencing enhancement. 924C is a separate and distinct crime. You, and the cr- you, you don't deny it could be a continuing offense. You, you just say it only continues as long as the as the firearm is being used during the other crime. That's correct. And if you continue to use the firearm during the entire kidnapping, it's a continuing offense. Under those set of uh, facts, that but is Your correct. position is that the duration of the, of the continuity is limited by the use of the firearm. That it is limited by the time and place that they are together as one. As the statute says, whoever uses a firearm during and there's only one point in time here that the firearm was used during the kidnapping. That's correct, Your Honor. Under the facts of this case, the 924C violation probably occurred in about one minute. Mr. Moreno, out of a sense of desperation, threatened a vic- uh, the Mr. Avendano with the gun shortly thereafter, at the same time. What do you mean, out of a sense of desperation? You, you, you'd think it was Mr. Avendano would be desperate. <laughs> <laughs> out of a sense of of frustration. He, he pulled the weapon and used it, Your Honor. Immediately thereafter, one of his co-defendants said, don't do it. This is not the way we're conducting ourselves. Words to that effect, which are on page 27 of the Joint Appendix. I think everybody understands that this, where, where the kidnapping took place and where the gun took place. The, the real question for me anywhere, it, way is, is under this statute, is the kidnapping part of the offense? I know it wasn't completed until he had the gun. But is the kidnapping part of it? It is. And you cite a bunch of cases. And what the, I take it, the Solicitor General has said is I can look far and wide for a case 
I may find one that has a clear jurisdictional element where they said that isn't part. But uh, aside from those cases, all the other cases are against you. So I want to know which, which is the example that you would pick out and say, no, no, here, here is a, a statute. It refers to several separate things. One of them is big one. The others seem minor. All are elements. And a court has held that one or more of those elements, not jurisdictional, is not for purposes of venue. Part I believe the there is a case on point. Which it's one? Mid-State Horticultural. It's this Court's opinion in 1939. If I may, it was an Elkins Act uh, prosecution. The Elkins Act prohibited the illegal payment of rebates in interstate rail shipping. It was a very broad venue provision under that statute, and it said, in essence, that the crime could be charged anywhere where either the payment was made or received or anywhere where the shipment took place in any state. Similar to this case, when, the court of, when um, this Court had the case in 1939, it was a unique set of facts. The facts were, uh, Your Honor, that the shipment had been made in 1932 and 1933 from California to New Jersey, but the payment was only made in 1935 in the City of New York. And the case was tried in Philadelphia, and this Court said, no, you can't do that. They said that you look, must look at the acts of the accused where they were committed, and that is where venue was laid. Well, that, that, that was the case involving the granting or the receiving of rebates. Were there other um, elements of the crime? There were, yes. The necessary, those necessary, other elements had occurred other places? That's correct. The, the elements, the other element of the crime was the interstate shipment. And in that case, that, that part of the crime occurred from California to New Jersey and in every state. And as this case found in Armour Packing 30 years before that, in 1909, that had the payment been made before and the shipping continued, it could be tried in any case through which the shipments proceeded. It, it seems to me in the Cabralis case, uh, the Court was actually rather careful uh, not to say that the only place for the venue is where all of the elements of the crimes have occurred, all of the active conduct necessary to commit the crime has occurred. Um, it seems to me Cabralis is very important for what it did not say in that respect as, as we look at this case. Well, Your Honor, I believe that Cabralis supports our position. What Cabralis said was, in Cabralis, the money laundering had to be the result of an illegal crime. That was part of the statute, that it had to be, at least for the 957, uh, that there had to be a showing that the money was illegally obtained. But it didn't have to be illegally obtained by that particular defendant. That's correct, Your Honor. But what this Court said was, look at, look at Cabralis and what she did and where she did it. And what happened before is, is not important. It is not necessary um, for the uh, conviction because of the that crime. that was that an after-the-fact crime, and Cabralis, the opinion, repeatedly said, this is, you have to type this case, it's in the after-the-fact category. Here we have a during situation. That's quite different. Well, it was, in fact, an after-the-fact crime. That, that was um, set forth in the opinion. Here, if, if the government's theory on where venue can be laid under where either the kidnapping took place or where either the gun would, was used and, and takes out the during and in relation to argument, then venue could be laid in any number of states all over the country and is not limited by the words during and in relation to. No, but isn't the response to that, I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a fair argument, but isn't the response to that argument a, a very practical one? 
that, that we're, we're getting at a, a, uh, a problem of practical unfairness when, when we devise venue rules and Congress passes them. There isn't any practical unfairness here for the simple reason that in, in, on the government's theory in a case like this, your client can be prosecuted in any one of those other jurisdictions anyway, so that your client is not being, as it were, transported across the seas in, in the sort of the Declaration of Independence sense. And, and isn't that sort of argument for fairness the response to the argument that you have just made? No, Your Honor. Venue must be determined on each count in the indictment separately. And just merely because three or four counts in an indictment confer venue in one place and one does not, there is no, there, there is no practical application that permits the Court to try them all in one place. That is simply what the Constitution does not permit. Mr. Mr. McDaniel, uh, on your theory, what would be the result under Judge Alito's uh, suggested revision of this statute? Whoever commits any crime of violence or drug trafficking crime for which he may be prosecuted in the court of the United States and during in relation to that crime uses or carries a firearm, would that be a different result under your theory as to venue? I believe it is. That is nothing more than a sentencing enhancement at that, uh, at that point. It is no longer a separate and distinct crime. Um, Your Honor, it seems that everybody wants to rewrite this statute. The dissent wanted to rewrite it. The government wants to rewrite it. And Congress has, in fact, in the last month, rewritten the statute. But that's not the statute under which Mr. Moreno was was tried uh, and convicted. Well, but if if under the dissent's rewriting, uh, the venue would have been proper, even under your view, it is just strictly then a matter of almost grammar to decide where venue can be. No, Your Honor, because— maybe that's, maybe that's the way it should be, but it's what it boils down to. I don't believe so, Your Honor, because no matter how you rewrite the statute, you, I don't believe that you can escape the, the, the clear language that the gun must be used during and in relation to an underlying crime of violence. Well, but that, that's, that, that would be the language in the rewritten version that I read you. And during in relation to that crime uses, a, uses or carries a firearm. Well, Your Honor, it would be our position that, that the trial would still have to be held in the place where the gun was used during and in relation and in relation to the underlying felony. Well, then that isn't the same answer, though, you gave me a couple minutes ago. Is it, a, is it an easier case for the government under the statute the way it is ri- uh, would be rewritten? Yes. I think that there, it could arguably be. But the be government a, would still lose. I believe they would, Your Honor. Yes, but your first answer was because under that statute it becomes a sentencing factor rather than a different crime. That is part of it. What we've got before us is two separate crimes. That is right, Your Honor. Mr. Moreno was tried and convicted and punished for kidnapping. That was a continuing offense, and it could have been tried in any number of of, uh, districts in this United States. It is only when it comes together with the gun, when he begins to use the weapon, as this Court said in, in Bailey, when he torques up the stakes, when he makes it more dangerous, when he commits another offense, that is when 924C1 begins, and not a moment before. We believe that the Cabrales decision um, warrants rejection of the government's position in this case. Uh, the government's petition for certiorari in this case recognized that the Cabrales decision would be dispositive of this case, and they asked that the petition for writ of certiorari be held pending the Court's disposition in U.S. versus Cabrales and disposed of as appropriate in light of the resolution of that case. Now, at that time, the decision had, had not been written, and I understand that. But Cabrales simply said it, it, it 
reaffirmed this Court's rulings um, for the last 90 years, particularly that side, the standard cited in Anderson, and it said you must look to where the acts of the accused, what acts were committed in, and violated the, uh, the statute. I'd like question. you to go back to what you said just before. It seems to me that, that this case was held for Cabrales because Cabrales had come out the other way. It would have been denied. Yeah. Then if Cabrales had. Suppose Cabrales had come out the other way. In favor of the government. Right. Then I imagine that they were asking that it be remanded to the, to the uh, Third Circuit Court of Appeals in, uh, for determination resolution of, um, in recognition of that holding. Because we prevailed in the Third Circuit. Yes. And had the court just simply denied cert, we would still prevail. Am I answering your question? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mr. McDonald, are, are you are you defending um, what, what what is called the the active verb theory? I haven't heard you really put much emphasis on that. Is is the, the find that a useful uh, mode of analysis? I think the active verb test is best been described by by the courts of appeals and the uh, authorities as as a very good first cut at understanding a statute. Most of the uh, courts of appeals have not held that it is an exclusive analysis of any criminal case, but they have held that it is something that they utilize in their examination of the statute as to where venue uh, should lie. If if this Court adopted the active verb uh, test, and the active verbs in this case are use and carry, we would prevail without much further discussion. Um, It dawned on us that there are a number of uh, circuits that have um, uh, have adopted this test, but this Court — that test, but this Court has not. Uh, if this court adopts that test, I believe that um, uh, we would prevail uh, under that test. It is a, it is a straightforward test. I've looked at the case you've cited, the United States versus Midstate Co., and there the court was very careful to say uh, that the transport of the goods through Pennsylvania was a lawful act and that Congress did not intend that subsequent conduct or events should stamp criminality upon an act that was lawful, and said there's no continuing event. That's quite different from kidnapping, which was unlawful at all times. In that respect, it is. the case is is just not so helpful for your position. Well, if you consider the essential elements, it is is true that in in mid-state horticultural, the underlying essential element was not criminal in and of itself, but it was still an essential element of the offense. Here, the kidnapping is an essential element of the offense. It happens to be criminal. That wasn't the distinction the Court made. The Court said if you have a continuous offense, then it must be uh, an offense in the State, which is uh, uh, where, where the case is being tried. And it found that that was just not, that, not, not true. Well, under the Elkins Act, most of those offenses, and, and as this Court has said time and again in venue cases, they are fact-sensitive, and we must look closely at the facts of the case. In almost all the Elkins Act prosecutions, it was a continuing offense. It was offense that started with the payment or receipt of an illegal um, uh, gratuity or a kickback, and then that offense occurred each and every place that the uh, goods were shipped. So for that, for the reasons of, of that um, statute, it would be a continuing offense. Here, what they, that's not what the, I just got that to look at it. It's, I just agree with Justice Kennedy. It, it seemed as if the statute said it's an illegal offense to give or receive a rebate. And what it seemed to say, I've just looked at it quickly, is that in Pennsylvania, the transportation continued. It went through Pennsylvania, but it wasn't given in Pennsylvania the rebate, nor was it received in Pennsylvania. What happened is the goods passed through Pennsylvania. So it sounds as if the Court's saying 
Pennsylvania had nothing to do with this under the statute. Well, under the In connection, it's a preposition just like Doring. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's the same structure uh, that you have in front of us here. Well, Your Honor, if you read the armor packing case, the armor packing case um, said that under the Elkins Act, the, uh, uh, it, it could well be a continuing — it is a continuing offense under — through each and every state that the um, uh, transportation occurred, and that was by statute. Uh, the venue provisions there were very, very broad. Uh, well, is, is there a case where I could look at it and find the following? Any case, in any court, what I'd look at is there'd be a statute. And the statute would have several elements. And I'd leave out of the picture any element that the defendant does, that does not involve the defendant's doing something or being personally involved. For example, if an element is at night, the defendant doesn't create night. That's so correct. Leave that out of it. Also leave out of it any jurisdictional part, pure jurisdiction, like the gun statute. All right. Now, now, now are you thinking of a set of elements? Give me a case which said that venue is improper in any one of those elements. I don't believe that there is a case one way or the other for a point-in-time case. Or any, anything. See, what they're saying is that despite perhaps the appeal of your argument, they have a clear test and moreover, it's one that the courts have never, 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 never departed from. I think that's putting their argument as strongly as I can, perhaps too strongly, in their favor. But, I, but the, a clear answer to that would be, look, here are three cases which have said that there are five elements to this crime, and four of those elements involve the defendant, and as to number four, you can't put it there. It's just peripheral. It's uh, too, too irrelevant, too far away. Well, there are no cases that, that, uh, that I know of that, that have held that. But what the cases have said is that you must look at the acts of the accused, and they are fact-specific. And I don't know of — I'm trying to think of cases where um, the defendant where it would be as fact-specific as this, where the gun and the um, kidnapping came together only in one place and only at one time. Okay. Suppose, then, we said you're right. Uh, this is going to be a clear case. This is a clear case, and so now you're trying to write the words that create a workable precedent for lower courts who will be faced with statutes of several elements. The defendant will be involved in all of them. Some of those elements venue is proper. Others, they're not. The test that distinguishes the one from the other, in your opinion, is? That if, if the elements all must come together under that particular statute, and that is what the statute says, that they must come together at some point in time, then it is only in that place where they came together at point in time where venue is proper. That would be the ruling that I would suggest. If there are no further questions. Very well, Mr. McDonald. Thank Thank you. you. Mr. Wolfson, you have six minutes remaining. Uh, Unless there are any questions, I have nothing further. Thank you. Very well. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.